All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined as always by James Fitzgerald. Hey there, everyone. Hi, James. fans, subscribers, people who like us. Hello out there in Fitness and Philosophy land. Hello there. What you got in that cup? Good old Mountain Valley spring water. That is actually, that's interesting that you say that. That's Mountain actually Mountain Valley spring water. I did like a two or three month, just because I nerd out on this stuff and FDN and what have you, but I did like a two month deep dive on like water and filters and what should I get? And like, that's what I actually get at home. Like I just get the, the Mountain Valley spring. Nice. I also have a, yeah, I forget every time, but we have a home water system that we got set up uh, some expensive unit that kind of meets the water coming into our home and does all this fascinating stuff with it. And then puts it through nice channels into our faucets and stuff we wash with and et cetera. We did that work many years ago. It was, it was well worth it. I don't know if it's not going to give me a third or a you know third pinky, but it's a, it's all good. Himalayan monks bless the water as it comes into your home. And that's your other option. <laughs> that's your other option. Otherwise you could uh, look at uh, objective measures of actually retesting it once it comes out of the tap and go, eh, none of that shit's in it. It's probably working, <clears throat> which we had done. And uh, yeah, oh, that makes sense. Um, my question for today, James, is what is your favorite absolute strength movement? I'd say deadlift for sure. Yeah, because uh, my uh, long femurs, uh, relatively bigger uh, fingers and hands for my, the size of my wrist and body, longer arms, you know, not, not huge ape index, but an ape index that's over my height. Um, probably postural endurance activities, um, you know, like... Uh, skating and, um, and running, uh, lead to that. Yeah. And, uh, I guess just some, you know, there's probably in those areas of, um, my journeys of real, uh, deep intensity. It's the, it's the highest absolute load number of a movement you're going to lift. So, you know, I can replay the how the 315 pound deadlifts felt at the games in 2010. I could replay the 275 repeat deadlift burpee um, at the 2008 competition in Aromas. I could replay what 475 and just missing 495 felt like as a 40 year old. Uh, master at 165, 67 pounds body weight. Um, I could replay all of those things, but I can't replay all the big squat moments as carefully. <laughs> so that's just, uh, that's why I think it's the, for me, it's the best one. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? Uh, it's definitely rotated for me. I mean, I would say from high school up until I started kind of moving into more of the CrossFit world 
10 or 11 years ago, I did a lot of bodybuilding stuff. Um, so bench obviously was a big one. And then it transitioned to deadlift for a long time. And I'd say that's still a big one. And then what I feel the most confident in now um, is probably the, the squat, but it's, yeah, it's definitely rotated. Definitely rotated. Okay. I like them on all different regards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, squat probably right now. Yeah. I like, uh, I love dumbbell press as well as rows as well. Uh, dumbbell rows, single arm rows. Um, yeah. I always like those as well. You know? Um, yeah. If we went on with this, I, you know, I'd go on and on probably end up being like, you know what? I just love resistance of all kinds. Yeah. It's just <laughs> you know? fun. But, uh, but yeah, it is, uh, it's, it's easy for me immediately to pick the, the deadlift or the bending pattern. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I just did it this morning. You know, this is something that in my repertoire of, uh, training, you know, of interest, what I've been doing <clears throat> for the past, uh, couple of years now is, uh, uh, just doing only pronated grip, uh, true grip, uh, deadlifting of multiple sizes of bars. Uh, a beater bar, you know, 35 pound, 45 pound axle bar, but all with this grip. Um, and it's been, I've been tying in some good, you know, longevity pieces for me of uh, connecting the whole chain from grip all the way to the load that I could lift. Cause I've, I've accommodated, you know, just think of it, how much my hips and low back could lift my whole life with a mixed grip or mixed hook grip or straps. Right. Right. Um, and of course, the further and further you go down there towards competition and high repetition and high load, you, be, you get some compensations based upon that, right? So I've been going, reverting back to the pronated position and, and it's been good. Um, I pulled 400 for a couple of reps, three to five reps, I think, for a number of sets this summer um, with that. Um, wow. and, uh, that was a great accomplishment. Um, I felt... Uh, I felt really strong. And the reason why it's that is that's all the weights I have in my gym. It goes up to, it goes up to like four Oh seven or something or four or six. That's all I have there. So my goal was to get there and do some reps of it. And, uh, anyways, that's the, it's been, it's been a cool journey of, uh, going back that way as opposed to, um, what I had learned previously through, uh, uh, West side and Ripito and just classic, uh, you know, concepts of, uh, powerlifting. Yeah, that's always impressive to me. I mean, if someone's able to, I mean, just general double overhand, but I mean, even more impressive if they're able to double overhand, no hook grip. That's, uh, that's definitely impressive. Yeah. 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 It's been, uh, it's been good learning. It's been good learning. Uh, there's a lot of ego learning inside there too. Cause right. as I was building up to, uh, you know, 355, 370, it was, I do a double or triple and I couldn't hang on to the bar. But my brain, you can imagine for 10,000 reps was always like, what, what is this? You know? So it's a bit of an ego shift where you're the rest of your body's like, just lift it up and stand up. But your grip is like this, you're not going to hang on to that. You know? So. Yeah. I think that's something I'd definitely like to retrain in the future. At some point, I think like my double overhand non-hook grip taps yeah. out of around 315. I just, you know, pass that I'll switch or something like that, but yeah. it would be cool to be able to and into that. rock climbing, Rob, Robbie, uh, that's what helped me as well. I've been rock climbing with my daughter yeah. and uh, there's this, you know, different, different stuff, variation of grip holds and, and gripping scenarios that you're doing in that. Um, I've had other people who are clients and coaches recommend too, that the, as they started their journey towards uh, uh, jujitsu or uh, practicing those things, they also improve their grip based upon that. So, 
something to think about. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. See you climbing rocks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Powerlift, powerlift your body slash uh, generally immobile. But yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, gotta work on that dexterity there. But I, I've done it a couple times before. It's pretty yeah. fun. You'll be like, can I just move it? <laughs> yeah, can I just push it can somewhere? I just push the rock somewhere as yeah. opposed to climb it. <laughs> All right, you ready to talk about some uh, some pleasure? Some pleasure, yes. I'm excited about that. I did a uh, a very small review, but I um, I'm well aware of what we're going to get into here. Whether I'll do it or not, I don't know. But I'm sure I could come up with many clickbaity titles for the uh, marketing okay. for, <laughs> for. Oh yeah, this, this is this is one of them. Yep. <laughs> so our new our new couplet. Um, we did uh, value and impact last time, and that was our previous couplet. And now we're doing pleasure and pain, which will tie in uh, a bit to both value and impact, just insofar as we've been talking about utilitarianism and pleasure being the highest good and happiness and things like that. So we're going to start out by discussing pleasure. And then next time we will do <laughs> pain. So let's start off with the dictionary definition of pleasure. And as you might imagine, um, I remember reading, where was I reading this? It was like in a ND philosophy magazine or something like that. But basically they were talking about how, you know, the Greeks had seven different um, terms for love. You know, there's like erotic love, there's okay. love between your you and your family, there's love between you and your friends, love for ideas. So it just I'm just mentioning that here because when we hear these different definitions of pleasure, you kind of recognize like, oh, this is yeah. not picking out like one single thing. These are many different phenomena, which of course we'll, we'll get into. So pleasure can mean desire and inclination. It could mean a state of gratification, um, central gratification uh, in particular. Uh, frivolous amusement, uh, a source of delight or joy. Now, of course, those are all, you know, they've got like, they're related, but they're, they're different, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so there are a number of philosophical considerations that we can bring up with regard to pleasure that I think will be uh, important in discussing its relation to fitness. Um, so the first question we always ask with these concepts is like, what kind of a thing is the thing? What kind of a thing is value? What kind of thing is autonomy? What kind of thing is pleasure? So without taking us too deep down the philosophical rabbit hole, we can say pretty straightforwardly that pleasure is a feeling. Um, it's uh, not an object. It's not a person. It's, it's a feeling. And in particular, it seems to be a biological entity. Now there are debates about this in philosophy, whether machines could ever have pleasure or whether objects are capable of pleasure. But again, going back to like that burden of proof that we've discussed so much before, that's so important in these conversations. Like I'm not dogmatically asserting that pleasure is biological. I'm just saying, hey, what we have experience of is pleasure being biological. If someone wants to show that objects or machines can experience pleasure, the burden is on them to show that. Yeah, and I think there's been so much now more recently in uh, genetic uh, um, uh, noticings of people that have a scalar variances in terms of what they uh, have as that outcome of dopamine and serotonin changes or also neural changes that are seen at the brain. 
than if they're describing it in language as pleasure or less pleasurable, then you can see how there's more and more evidence over time which will tie in that this feeling is, you know, is a, is a, is a matter, is a concept of, it's a matter, it's matter. And, and we can like look at it and see where it comes from and how it's derived and, and why some humans have more options of going after it right away. Some humans are not oblivious, but at a lower level capable of, you know, experiencing it, uh, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, for a long, very long time in both the history of philosophy and religion, pleasure was thought of as a, a mental entity where, mm -hmm. you know, for Descartes and others, mind was something distinct from body. Um, and there's still debates and discussions about that, but whatever else we want to say, like even the most, well, maybe the most hardened dualist about mind and body may not agree, but like most people to this debate will agree that it has some relation to biology, neurotransmitters, chemicals in the brain, so on and so forth. Um, and then there's, you know, related to the point you just brought up, there's the subjective aspect, which, you know, with our current technology, we never have access to what anyone else is experiencing. That's another famous philosophical problem. Yeah. But on the objective side, you could have two people with, you know, one has a super high level of dopamine and one has a super low level in response to a different stimulus, but they're both experiencing the same amount of pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with, you know, uh, receptor sensitivity and, you know, genetic SNPs and, and things of that nature. Yeah. And their environment and their learning about that and perceptions. Yeah. Right. So, you know, why, why is it that um, a whole slew of people can drink alcohol and not become alcoholics? And yet there's some people who family history and things like that, that triggers that right for them. And it's just, it's almost too much to, to handle. Yes. Type of thing. Yep. For example. So pleasure is a mental or neurological entity that so far as we know exists in the brains of beings that have sufficient neurological capacity to experience it. And in the, you know, animal ethics debate, vegan vegetarianism, this is of course like a, a question that comes up with relation to, you know, do, do scallops uh, experience pleasure? Like what, what's the cutoff of neurological activity yes. such that uh, they're worthy of moral concern? So it's an interesting question like, how robust does a biological entity's neurological capacity need to be to experience pleasure or pain? Yeah. Or the, um, or the birds and worms and uh, stuff that get caught up in all the uh, uh, edamame fields and grain fields and uh, all the animals that uh, allow people to eat grains and non-meat. What, kind of, what kind of animals feel pain in the opportunity of, of making all that happen. You know, that's where it gets a little wonky too in the conversation. Yeah, that, that is where it gets a little uh, problematic. And then there's the whole issue of- uh, A deer feeling pain being eaten by a beer, you know, in the woods. Or insects, you know, there's not much of a vegan movement for crickets it's or- um what have you now and i i mean this i think is actually a super interesting topic and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't mean drown it but i'm just saying oh no no you're, you're you're fine um but yeah i mean it, it really is a interesting question and there, there actually there's been research around you know plants have you know certain networks of communication and they don't want to be eaten either but of course what's the relevant sense of want and pleasure and pain and mm -hmm. yeah so anyway just to say that um it's an interesting question about like, what's the threshold? Yeah, there. for sure. 
Um, and then, you know, this other point, there's nothing intrinsically pleasurable about, you know, eating food, having sex, working out, except with relation to those neurochemicals, those activities release. And that's where you get, you know, these famous philosophical examples of the matrix and others where, you know, if you could reproduce those same neurochemical firings in the brain, but without having the actual objects or events taking place, um, could you, you know, in effect, stimulate reality? Um, so it's just to say that a lot of what we feel with regard to pleasure and or pain isn't inherent in the object per se, although there is a, a relation, uh, but it has some, a lot to do with kind of how our brain responds to different scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, are you saying inside of that, that it takes, uh, it takes like, uh, someone to converse about it or someone tell someone about their initial orgasm? as to what that will feel like in terms of it being pleasurable or it just happens and they, they don't know if it is pleasure. Um, you know, they can't classify it as that. Good question. That's, I'm going to use that as the title for this, for this there episode. We go. There it is. You have to be told about your orgasm to mark. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> to know it's pleasure. Uh, I would definitely not, not, uh, assent to option number one. Like I don't think someone needs to be told, that to understand that it's pleasurable. I guess what I'm saying is that you could have the very same act, whether it's eating or having sex or, you know, engaging in a fitness activity, and yet something's gone wonky about your neurochemicals. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that association between the joy or the pleasure inherent in it um, goes away. And I mean, that happens in cases of depression and yeah. Yeah. You know, people getting TBIs and things like that. So, it's just to say that those activities, biologically speaking, and we'll talk about this later from an evolutionary perspective, are meant to give rise to certain pleasures in us. But the only way they're able to do that is if there's sufficient apparatus and capacity up here to yes. receive that. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then one other thing that I didn't have in the outline, but I just thought of in the couple days uh, since I sent it, and I know you've read Chalmers before, but just a, you know, a note for our listeners, in the discussion around consciousness in philosophy, there's what David Chalmers has referred to as the hard problem of, of consciousness, which is the question of why are there qualia at all? And for those who've never heard the term, it just means why does it feel like anything to drink water? Why does it feel like anything to hold a snowball? Why does it feel like anything to eat food or have sex or you know engage in fitness activities? you know, humans could get along from a evolutionary and survival of the fittest perspective without having those qualia going along for the ride. Presumably that, that's the argument, at least we yeah. could, you know, survive, reproduce, eat food, but without having like feeling behind it. So it's an interesting question philosophically, like where does this come from? And as we've discussed before with, with Nagel and the Mary experiment, and what is it like to be a bat? You could have the ultimate scientific explanation of the brain and the body and how that all works and yet have no idea, no idea qualitatively what it's like to have an orgasm or mm -hmm. see colors or, you know, different things like that. Yeah. Uh, the selfish gene uh, goes into that as well, or Dawkins writings on that in a little bit more of a trying to gain, I think maybe like more of an evolutionary um, idea of, where these, how these things may have arised over a really long period of time. 
uh, to give us a little bit more insight into the possible whys of why we possibly feel that and why it could still be necessary to continue to do what we continue to do. Um, also, I think about some of the things that have been learned uh, from many, many years ago um, of uh, communication between other individuals and then uh, how we act around one another and how we've built kind of this, you know, base support of uh, working together with other individuals. And there is some things that were observed in that working together with other, other individuals that we recognize. It's like, you know, oh, we gathered food together and it led to this. That's a great learning, you know, as simple as it sounds between two individuals that can, wherever it comes from, led to this opportunity to go, oh, that leads to this. So of course you could say, well, that's okay. That's great. That led to reproduction and survival for that particular tribe, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, along the lines, there was some base support of um, a recognition of this. And so, you know, I guess that's where the question may be, was there something around the feeling that was involved in that tribe and community and et cetera, that led to those things where they were like, oh, you know, and does that build the, ba the basis of things like empathy and et cetera, that were common knowledge, I would argue for maybe hundreds of thousands of years, just didn't have language for them. That's where my brain goes in terms of like how we got to that point of possibly, uh, you know, where did these things, you know, do we need to have those things arise for us to have any purpose or reason? Yeah. And I think, I mean, for me personally, and I know there are counter arguments to this. I mean, I, I do think quality of play a functional role. I mean, they do, they do, you know, as we're about to talk about, they play a motivating role. They, they do make it more likely that we seek out um, certain things. Now that can go awry, of course, but um, they are motivating forces. And then a question that I thought of as you were saying that, that I think is also interesting is, to what extent does pleasure arise in us for things that have nothing to do with survival and reproduction? Yeah, yeah. You know, things that um, are maybe maybe once were related to survival and reproduction, mm -hmm. but have kind of branched off now and, you know. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Reading a book Good has, <laughs> reading a book has very little to do with, I mean, you know, one could make the argument, of course, that like, yes, you know, it upgrades your knowledge and you can do better things and potentially earn more money. But there's lots of reading of books that has nothing to do with survival of reproduction and yet that generates pleasure. So, you know, what do we say there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, well, I don't know. And it's a great question, but I can tell you, I could just answer it point blank in terms of it is that uh, for my particular self, um, it, in my essence and however that came to be, um, I like just learning things and doing nothing with it, but just knowing that I did learn that interesting thing. So it's pleasurable, I would guess you would say, just to myself, there's some form of pleasure inside of just the gaining of that kind of interesting aha moment, you know, like, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, more recently, I just looked down at a book I'm reading on the politics industry um, by uh, <clears throat> Michael Porter and Catherine Gale. And just just unfolding a whole bunch of things that me for my mind and my capabilities around you know little bits of the uh, background of how politics works in America you know and uh, to to me that just like you know cards start to fall in a whole bunch of other scenarios right I recall forty five things right away after one page that was like oh man that that totally explained all that you see what I'm saying but. Uh, 
until now this moment, I never spoke about that exact pleasure that I just gained if I'm saying and if I'm meaning anything there. So um, anyways, I just wanted to give an N equals one of where the pleasure I would gain from that knowledge. Um, and I'm not, I might not do anything with it, but I certainly, I certainly get a couple of smiles on myself from it. Like, wow, that's kind of, it's kind of cool. No, and that's a good example of the idea that like, you know, gaining knowledge through reading a book can be intrinsically pleasurable, but without leading to any sort of, you know, benefit and survival and reproduction in the world. And yes. just that notion that like, you know, a lot of the things we ultimately, I mean, not everything, but a lot of things we ultimately pursue, we're, we're seeking that intrinsic, you know, yeah. happiness or, or yeah. pleasure. We're, we're, we're trying, we're not trying to do it to get something else. So it's just yeah. an interesting Where question. Where is it? Where is yeah. it? Here it comes. Here it comes. You know, take a picture, Instagram. I learned this. Highlight this. You guys should all do this. Yeah. Doesn't always lead to that. No, definitely not. Um, so another thing that we've been talking about that I think is relevant to what we're going to get to when we get to uh, pleasure and fitness is one might say that pleasure is not just a motivating force, but potentially the motivating force. So, you know, from a purely descriptive perspective, um, when we're talking about just how people actually act, it's certainly the case that it is a primary motivating force and potentially the motivating force. And then the normative question there is, well, should that be the case? Should it be the case that um, pleasure is, you know, what motivates us? And that gets into... Um, I guess it's how we define pleasure. Right, which gets into the next point, which is is super important. And, um, you know, this notion of pleasure versus happiness. And we talked about this a little bit with relation to utilitarianism. You know, almost every wisdom, philosophical, religious tradition throughout history has made the same, roughly the same distinction or a similar distinction between at least two different types of pleasure. So one type of pleasure is pleasure where we define it as desire satisfaction. This is uh, associated with being temporary. It's fleeting. This is dopamine. We always need more. The you know the you develop a, a tolerance for the thing you liked, and now you need more of it. Um, it leads to an emptiness and a void that can't be filled. So, you know, think of sex or drugs or um, again, certain, certain types and and things like that, but think, think of things that are inherently addictive. Uh, This type of, this type of pleasure tends to conflict with happiness and fulfillment that the two diverge. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, hedonism is usually associated with it. Like, you know, money, sex, cars, fame, power. Um, You were asking last time why I always use cars. I think I was thinking about that more. I think maybe because I grew up in Southern California and we're such a car culture. That could be the reason. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, And and listen, I didn't, uh, I I love, I would love a, um, um, a car show, a show where we just talked about that connected all things fitness to cars. Maybe that's a, that would be kind of cool. We'll we'll, we'll get into We can have categories of uh, different kinds of essences of cars and like classify them and, yeah, lots, lots can, lots can go there. Yeah. Any thoughts on that first type of uh, pleasure? Um, <clears throat> well, I'm not sure if I'm going to, if I'm uh, thinking about it the right way based on what you're saying, because uh, I was just writing some things down as, uh, and maybe jumping ahead, but I wrote down through, you know, how to, how to view pleasure right away as we start that process of seeing, you know, what pleasure means and what kind of pleasure in ter- terms of fitness. Um 
I wrote down that it's, it, you know, maybe we should view it as trying to come up with ideas that get us to how people can perceive um, where pleasure fits into fitness. Um, so, and, you know, of course, after we've defined what it is, then we can get on with, you know, saying things like, you know, you should try to find pleasure and consistency in your fitness program. Um, and not try to find pleasure in the dose response of each particular workout, you know, and then, and then it allows us then to say, well, you know, ask more questions. Why are you feeling like you need to have pleasure from your fitness experience? And then we don't need to judge whether it's right or wrong because there still could be, you know, you doing deadlifting and leads to utility uh, for a long period of time. Um, and you could still say, well, I had pleasure in that particular session, you know, but we could at least back up and say, but what was your intentions going into it? Are you doing it to get pleasure from the session or are you doing it at a macro level? So over time you're getting pleasure from the consistency of being inside there. So that's, uh, you know, that's just what I was thinking about as you were mentioning the kind of, kind of pleasure. Yeah. And I, that makes sense. And I think that gets us into that, that second type of pleasure, this notion of, of happiness, um, this is usually associated that, you know, Aristotle defined this as eudaimonia. Uh, that was the Greek word for it. Um, the idea that there is being longer lasting leads to deeper meaning, purpose, fulfillment, satisfaction, not needing more, not always needing that, like that little push of the button, um, and not associated with, with hedonism or desire satisfaction. So we'll obviously get to this, or maybe we could, you know, talk about it now, but in, in terms we've talked about before, just from a biological perspective, not for everyone, of course, but, you know, sustainable resistance training and sustainable aerobic training lends itself more towards like, you know, patience, temperance, like long-term satisfaction. Uh, it doesn't quite have that like high jolt of like, ooh, the dopamine. Um, so you, you, you're trading off that like immediate desire satisfaction for the other stuff. And then of course the, the shitty shit, shit and the, you know, uh, okay, let's do this and this station and that station, the next station, like you get way more of a spike there in mm -hmm. that desire satisfaction, yeah. but then you, on the back end, you lose out on this fulfillment. You're, you're yeah. always searching for that next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which as you're saying it, isn't it, isn't it, uh, I'm not sure if it's the first time we thought about that, but isn't that like just life today in the internet, <laughs> you know, isn't that a reflection of what's inside of fitness? It's like, duh, 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 uh, duh, 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 you know, yeah. and it's where we're all accepting is like, listen, that's life. Let's have it inside of fitness. Um, anyways, that's what I thought about there, but uh, I don't see. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, um, yeah. How to land on that. Cause we, because it's something that we've spoke of, we kind of understand it, we get it, right? Don't always be going after that one thing. And if you pace it out and you go long-term and you think long-term, it's better or sweeter on the other side. And we define that based upon this long-term. But um, I think maybe planting this idea that you actually have, you have a burden and less freedom when your intentions are pleasurable that leads towards hedonistic stuff inside the process, right? Like, if, if you're going for that hit all the time, and it's just another way of saying what I said a thousand times over, but if you're going after that each time, you are a slave to that. And that's not freedom, right? Um, so that is, that is, I don't know if you're pulling anything from that, but that's leading you, right? Like 
that's that's becoming something that is earring on the side, which I know we're going to get to in the wording, but the addiction of it to go after it that actually can't be fulfilled or like filled anymore to allow you to be able to do it. Because this thing that you go after, you have to have the resources necessary repetitively to go after and get that thing, right? So you waste all your resources chasing that thing. And then the only way to keep getting that pleasurable dose eventually yields and gets less and less of a chance of doing it. Um, so I just said what I've said a thousand times before in a different way, but I just wanted to hit on the point that that hedonistic journey leads to you being a slave to that and not freedom. Um, oh yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it seems pleasurable the whole time, right? It's like hit, 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 you know, uh, not hate, <laughs> hit, 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 H-I-I-T, hit. <laughs> I like to extend out the middle, middle vowel every time when I try to embed that um, or should come up on my screen every time I say it. No, I agree. And um, that, I think it's a good point. It, that's one of those things where it, it seems like it's freedom. It seems like it's freedom insofar as you're like, oh, ah, I'm, yeah. I'm pursuing what I want to pursue. Again, yeah. whether it's, you know, sex or money or your particular workout, it's like, oh, no one's constraining me. Oh, my choice. Uh, yeah, so my I get choice to do, doing this. Yeah, exactly. I get to do what I want. But as, I mean, you know, many, many, many philosophers, but just two that come to mind, you know, Kant and Rousseau were famous for saying, um, true freedom result, true freedom comes from um, some sort of constraint or law or self uh, governance of one, mm. oneself. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have that, then it really just is a, a free for all where you're, where you're a slave to, you know, whatever it is that you're chasing. And again, it need not necessarily be fitness. Most traditions have noticed this, you know, talk about financials. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Don't invest in the cool, hot stock, you know, yeah. uh, index funds and, you know, relationships. It's the same, you know, over and over and over again. It's the, it's the same, generally the same, um, the same point, but yeah, in the fitness realm today, especially it's really kind of um, people use it as that means of, it's, it's just another way to get that little, that little yeah. button press. Yeah. And uh, where's the, where does the responsibility lie? I guess in that, that's another thing we can discuss is, you know, I think uh, there's bad players and bad actors out there in the coaching area that would not be well-intentioned, but they'd be unconscious and incompetent. And I would still classify them as, as bad actors in pushing that whole narrative of hedonism and pleasure and just go after it, hit, hit, and hit, you know, over and over. Um, and I think uh, then you could say, well, you know, how do, how, does it, how do we get to the point to your, you know, uh, philosophical definition of of the awareness of of self governance. Like, you know, do we just leave it in the hands of people just to go out there and figure it out? Uh, you know, and be like, oh, you know, that's pleasurable. Um, but this whole concept of like, well, it, I, I would assume um, it's got to be like just a small amount of pleasure, the right amount of pleasure that leads to long term things. And I don't think, to be honest, there's a whole lot of people who have that. Uh, the cognitive ability to, to understand that. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to find a, trying to find a place, whether it's worth it or not, you can stop it if you need to, but in terms of responsibility for that, that awareness of that. 
No, I mean, honestly, I think that's one of the most interesting discussions we can have. And I mean, I talk about this with Brandon all the time with regard to, you know, ethical marketing and just, you know, on, on the one hand, people want what they want. And if you beat them over the head with, well, you shouldn't want that. Well, fuck, that's what I want. You know what I mean? Like we aren't necessarily, as we've discussed before, we aren't in voluntary control of our wants. Mm -hmm. Our wants can change over time due to new experiences and new perspectives, but they aren't immediately in our voluntary control. So if you're sitting there, you know, wanting the shitty shit shit and someone says, well, that's stupid to want that. Well, that's not going to change tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, 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 I think in, in my perspective, and I'd be interested to hear yours as well. It's a 50, 50 thing. The coach cannot change that for the client by themselves. Mm -hmm. The client could maybe do it by themselves, but it, it, it's, it's a team effort. And, you know, if the, if the client doesn't come to the table willing to be open to new perspectives and ideas, there's nothing the coach is going to say that's going to make a difference. Yeah, no, that's, that's why I wanted to talk on the re, the responsibility aspect because it com comes down to ethics of if you're aware of that and you're aware and, and if you just continue to uh, allow a place for people just to go after the pleasure then I, I want to make mention of the fact that I recognize that you are at fault for a tremendous amount of problems that are going to come up down the road, right? That's your issue as a coach. That's your problem. That's your fault. Um, and so I think to just to be, you know, brunt on it, I think that's why I want to discuss it is to talk about, okay, so you have that in place and we're all aware of it. Then, you know, what's the, what's the starting point on the nudges then? of the conversation of like, yeah, I know you want that. And I know why you want that is what's going to eventually get in here. So I'm going to market that so that you do come in. And then when you do come in, then what are we going to do? Are you going to constantly be like, Oh yeah, you know, you can get what you want, you know? And, and that's where I think there has to be something to be said to your point and you used it. And I was, that's why I was discussing it on marketing and then getting clients in um, is just, let's just all be okay with the fact of, recognizing that it's going to take a team work approach to get that each individual person recognizing their intentions of the exercise session. Right. And let's be all, let's be all okay. If you figure out that 90% of all of them in a generalized term are doing it for pleasure, you know, oh, okay, fucking that's fine. But, but don't stop there is what we're saying or what I'm saying. Don't stop there move it a little bit further into like what's going to happen in two years when you don't get the pleasure anymore. It's at a different rate. You don't have the resources necessary to get the pleasure, you know, like, um, and I think this brings us back to our consistent big problem in fitness is it takes a lifetime to mess people up. Right. Um, and humans are resilient and adaptive and, um, you know, you probably won't, uh, probably won't get to the, to that big impactful change, um, in a short period of time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah. I, no, I mean, I, I think there are better and worse ways to to do it. I think there's, I mean, you know, OPEX does a good job of marketing. Uh, OPEX gyms generally do. Like we're, you're, 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 you know, you're still discussing things in terms of, you know, let's let's be honest. Most people in our culture today, for better or worse, are interested in losing weight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Should that be the main thing that we're all concerned with? Probably not. We should probably be concerned with health and longevity, but that is the main thing. Mm -hmm. So you can 
you know, start with that as a question or a tagline of, hey, want to do this? But then be honest about, hey, this is going to take, you know, months and years and we need good food quality and good habits and all the rest of that stuff instead of, you know, uh, the 30-day macro template or, or what have you. So I think ethically there, you know, to even get people to listen in the first place, you have to talk about what are they even interested in? But then you have to also be honest about, you know, what it is that they really need to get there. You can't, you know, um, you can't feed them a line about, well, you're going to get this in 30 days or what have you. So I think yep. it's a very good question. Yep. And it's another one. It's just important even at this point in time to recognize that the concept of pleasure as an intention is very similar to all the other, let's call them incorrect intentions that people are realistically thinking as a part of the fitness landscape. And we're all just knowing that we as coaches over are over here and we're really far away from talking the same talk, right? On what we believe in and what we think is best and where they actually think reality is for fitness, right? So if you think like, oh, we'll just start here. Well, that's a good, but just recognize you were like eight steps away from, from getting them to the point of like, you know, <laughs> I move because I can and I move for me. <laughs> right. You know, that's really far. Yeah, no, that, that's totally understandable. But then the, you know, the immediate question is, well, what's, what's the other option? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. if we beat them over the head with, hey, you're wrong and your wants are done. Like, well, I've given you the option. You know, we've talked about it, right? Wake up in the morning, the sound goes off and all the communities, arr, 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 you know, and people start doing the Fitzgerald jumping jacks and all the calisthenics and do some resistance and walk for 10K. And I've told you, this, this is what has to happen, right? And you got to do it. You got to yeah. do it. Why? Because the music was played, right? <laughs> da, 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 this is what you do. Fitness is like breakfast. OPEX North Korea is not yet a license. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can make it one. Try this experiment. Get one of the Kim Jongs to, you know, do CCP and oh man, we'll run a big experiment. Well, you know, everyone's listening in, so I'll let you know if if uh, someone comes through. It's like, I'm interested in your concept. <laughs> oh man, I don't know why I sound like a big conch, but it's like the Barkley Marathon conch. I would borrow that every day. Or the, uh, like the, remember when I was, when I visited Egypt at one, like the call to prayer. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, that's what I'm talking about. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, and then no one, no one blinks. It's like, this is what we do. Yeah. Shut up. Just, just do it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Don't ask that. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> but then have we circled back with like no autonomy? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? How we just collapsed in on ourselves. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All the heat. Yeah. Well, on a more serious note though, maybe it can bring us back to the center. Um, it should make sense that there's a, uh, there's, you know, like sugar and uh, orgasm and uh, um, <laughs> sometimes sugar and orgasm. Um, there's some, there's some good feelings inside of the fitness experience, right? Of this, there's something there, right? And so 
it should make sense that depending upon human, how humans perceive that physical challenge and what's in place, right? It should make sense to us that you could wrap your entire existence around that, right? Like, I like that. I like it so much. I want it. I want it so much. I want to tell everyone about it. And I just want to like wrap it around me and like, so it should make sense. You know, that shouldn't be surprising. I think that's what I'm picking up too is just got to find the right balance in that. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, one example that I think we've mentioned before that, man, I'd like to do an episode on that. I, I, I don't, have you ever heard of the philosopher Alistair McIntyre? Yes. I, uh, I um, took one of his quotes on uh, uh, the body and physiology and posted it on Facebook a while back. Okay. So he's, he's a famous probably one of the more famous philosophers of the 20th century moral philosophy wrote a book called after virtue a philosopher here at Notre Dame. Anyway, um, a lot of what he says actually overlaps in some interesting ways with what you have to say about, you know, so his whole thesis is like ethics just went way off the rails with like utilitarianism and other theories kind of in, in modernity. And we got to go back to Aristotle and, you know, um, virtue ethics from, you know, kind of, the early days of humanity and, and things like that. But um, one of the interesting ideas that he has in, in his, in his book is the notion of um, whatever endeavor someone engages in, in their life, whether it's sports or music or academia or what have you, it's this notion of a practice where um, initially you have to, you know, take your licks and learn that you're, you know, you're, you're eager to want to do the cool thing that, you know, um, Mozart's doing and Beethoven's doing and all those different things. But then you, you know, you learn over time. Now this takes time, uh, lots of time and practice. And he has this cool analogy of, um, you know, the grandpa playing chess with his grandson, where initially the grandpa gives the grandson some candy to play chess with him. You know, and that's, that's the first few sessions, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 sessions or whatever. And then eventually the kid just wants to play because he realizes the intrinsic values in the practice. And mm -hmm. I often wonder in relation to our conversation we just had about, um, you know, ethical marketing and speaking yeah. to fitness clients and stuff like that. Does that ever apply to um, fitness clients and adults? No. Now, could well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I've, I've just been marketing for dogmatism and fitness. And one of the video quotes I put up was you saying, be a fucking adult. Like, we're not going to treat adults like uh, we're not going to treat adults like uh, kids. You know, the reason we say don't cross the road and we yell it to our kids and don't give them reasons because they don't have the capacity to understand. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I see the desire not to want to treat adults like that. And I, I wish that were the case, but I, I, I don't know. To me, it, it really does depend on the context and I'd, I'd be happy to have that discussion, but um, yeah. I, I think there's too many things that get piled on inside the fitness experience that uh, people just can't like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't in an analogy. I don't know. It just doesn't, it doesn't actually like create more guardrails and kind of put people into this better balanced way of like, oh, aha moment learning, you know, I'm becoming more aware, more aware, more aware, ooh, to the, to the good spot. It just doesn't happen because there's just so much, so much other shit that comes with the things that they get inside that fitness experience. 
um, that if, if it's not partnered up with a coach who's like, you know, you know, meeting them every couple of days, like, yes, did you see that? You see that? Okay. Well, back off, back off. Okay. Get out there. You know, that's not, that's not the way it's occurring. Right. We, we think, you know, we think it occurs like the way I'd say it likes to occur, but it's not. So what do you have? Uh, you have a, in two small areas, you have a personal trainer who wants them to come back and not get anything from the awareness because they need to keep them. And then you have a group coach who doesn't have the opportunity to have the feedback loop to kind of like get them in the right direction to more awareness and aha. So I don't think it does happen where you, uh, where if I correct me if I'm wrong in what you were thinking there, but on the marketing aspect, you know, you just know that's the case. And then you, you know, you bring them in and you recognize the candy, you know, and you're like candy, 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 uh, less candy uh, and no candy, you know? And, and, and over time they're like, Oh wow, there was no, there's no candy. Uh, somehow I got to the point where I see the deepest intentions inside a fitness experience. Uh, it's not going to occur. It's not going to occur because of all the other things that uh, just get piled on top of it for, for fitness that can't allow them to kind of figure things out. Then there's the odd case, right? There's a coach who takes the extra step or uh, does that feedback loop or uh, recognizes the incorrect intentions and recognizes pleasure seeking and, uh, and kind of just like slowly moves them through it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess it depends on what we, I mean, I guess it depends all on what candy is in this metaphor, right? Is it mm -hmm. yeah. the marketing where you're speaking to them in the terms that they understand and the questions that they're asking and meeting them where they're at, or is it candy in the sense of like, you know, a Metcon, the shitty shit shit, um, on one, you know, definition, one's less nefarious than the other, but, mm -hmm. um, well, I think that, yeah, that's a good question to ask. Um, but let's just say that it was only about the candy of, um, of a lack of awareness. So, you know, so the marketing that leads to that we're like, we're, you know, the way I describe it, it's all unconscious and no one cares, but let's just come on in here. And so they come in here. Um, if, if in that case scenario, um, I think it does then, then you ask the question, well, you know, are there other candies or things on the other side? And my point is, it doesn't matter because already their expectations are off. The alignment is off their every thought process, everything they think they're supposed to get from every session, how quickly they're going to advance. Like all these things are already all messed up. Right. And so now they're scoring like what we would call one out of 10 on fitness intelligence. And you're thinking over time, not you, but people are thinking over time, it's going to, it's going to just grow, you know? Um, that's what I was thinking in terms of trying to define what the candy is, you know, in specifics. And, yeah, that makes sense. And then you could get the other case where I know that has occurred, right? Um, to myself and others, you know, they actually come in with intentions of, you know, just being like, hey, I just want to understand this thing with more of a, let's call it classic terminology. You know, I just didn't exercise as much, haven't taken time for myself. Kids are out of the house, you know, and I just you know, I just want to get a little stronger and just support this thing for the rest of my life. And that's, that's where they stop. Right. And then they start doing the fitness experience with a, an, a more of an unconscious prescription that I have done in years past, um, as well as what I would see. And the client starts attaching to the short term, like, uh, you know, uh, thing. And so they're getting something and that was a Metcon or that was a physiological dose of something that they're now attaching some pleasure to. So you can see it even happened on the back end 
but it led to, so it doesn't always occur that way where it's unconscious and they come in and et cetera. It's just, there's just so many, so many things inside the fitness experience. That's what I said, that just leads people off to trying to go after that very fast adaptation. Um, possibly, dare I say, cause it's, it's human. We want to, we want to quickly adapt and quickly <clears throat> overcome these challenges that are in front of us. And that's why I always say that for today's crop of individuals who understand the internet, the expectations are really whacked out of line because you're made to believe that you can get stuff very quickly. Right. And so now we have this, <clears throat> now we have this, uh, um, big differential in what is reality and what is fantasy for those expectations and progressions. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to the question of like, what is the propensity of someone to change their intentions over time? And I don't think, um, I don't think this issue is unique to fitness. I think it's philosophy, no. music, and any, any endeavor that you pursue, you know, when I first started studying philosophy, I mean, we all want to like, what are the big nuggets? What are the big ideas? Why am I reading, you know, all this different stuff. And then as you do it, your intentions shift and you start to realize the intrinsic value. Not, not always, of course, but again, going back to McIntyre's notion of a practice where initially we're all gunning for like the results super quick and the music teacher or the coach or whoever has to say, no, 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 patience, patience, patience. So yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I agree with a lot of it. I think the question that- Yeah, sorry. It's the institution and the systems are not set up, Robbie. Um, and uh, I guess, and this goes back to our conversation on, you know, impact and what's the number and effect size and what we mean by that. But the institutions, the concept is set up, but the institutions and the systems are not set up to support that like slow drip increase awareness over time where these notions of patience and what I, I wrote down as deep practice, right? Daniel Coyle calls that in, uh, in the talent code. Um, you know, cause it blends into like my first word, consistency, flow, and getting pleasure around that concept, which, which I enjoy from the, from the philosopher you're just discussing, you know, that's certainly near and dear to me. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I think in almost any endeavor you can think of pleasure almost always starts out as an attempt at desire satisfaction. Then if you stick with it long enough and you learn the ropes and you actually have patience and habits with it, it becomes that, you know, happiness, fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, but, but you do have to have, you know, a lot of times the proper guides and the proper intentions and all the rest of the things we've been discussing. Yeah. You know, what's some of the homework I should have done in this, but I can ask listeners to do this is, uh, which would probably help it is to write a, in language, a high, a lower order to higher order scale of words that describe different kinds of pleasure. Right. So, lower order, because you just, you just actually said it, but you just said it in two different areas, right? Beginning and end. And I would say that there is order to that, meaning the higher order version of it, it was, is probably on the far end of what you just said is how we're defining happiness and contentment and et cetera. And way over here is like that short-term, ah, you know, I really like that. And just build out this, you know, you know, terminology that allows you then to uh, create language to help people with that. So that you can say it in different ways and it doesn't hurt them, but you're, you basically make them recognize it's like, listen, you're just starting out. So it does make sense that each session you're like, ah, you know, that should make sense, you know? Um, but let me tell you that we also don't want to lie to you that over time, 
that will diminish in how you're currently perceiving it, right? That will diminish. And instead, you know, the, the ideas that you have in place of why you're coming in here and what you're doing will be around just getting in here, <laughs> you know? And then it'll make sense when I make comments, like you hear me saying with my workout is like, well, I showed up, you know? And that, that's, the, that's the big, that's the pleasurable moment. You know, those are pleasurable moments. Right. Um, so it's how it's defined, I would agree. But getting there, yeah, you raise a good point. It's uh, we, we just know that that's a good challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another philosophical question I thought we could discuss with relation to fitness um, is the question of, and it, it kind of goes back to what we were just discussing, but in a different way. It's this question of does and should pleasure be the motivating force to engage in fitness or should we engage in fitness just because for, you know, certain reasons of autonomy and virtue and, you know, do it because you can, not because yeah. someone told you to and do it because it's for you. And then it happens to lead to pleasure. So this yeah. is a debate within um, moral philosophy between Kant and the utilitarians, even though they existed temporarily very far apart. Um, but Kant famously says that pleasure is never the motive, should never be the motivating force for moral action. You do the moral action out of respect for the moral law. And if you get some, you know, residual pleasure out of returning a wallet to a police station, cool. But if that's ever your sole reason for doing it without doing it because it's the right thing to do, like you've totally missed the boat on morality. Like something has gone terribly awry. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Kant thinks evil or immorality consists in putting one's personal pleasures or desires over the moral law. That, that, that is just what immorality is. Whereas utilitarianism, you know, it's not hedonism, certainly, and we're talking about the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people, but it's intrinsically linked to this notion of pleasure. So the question in fitness that I think is particularly interesting is, should we engage in fitness for certain reasons that go beyond pleasure? And then pleasure is just kind of a nice result as a result of consistency, or this was a cool exercise I did, or is pleasure ultimately the motivating force for why we do it in the first place, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think, I think it currently is for most people. It's currently a very pleasurable situation, thinking there's going to be some outcomes, right? Um, there's lots of argument what those outcomes will be, but I think currently at the time, it's, uh, it's that. <clears throat> um, we also have to take into consideration, you know, people's perceptions. And I think a lot of people uh, do fitness today uh, because they want others to know that they did fitness. So there's, there's pleasure in other people knowing that they were participating. And that just gets wrapped up in, you know, community chatter or, or you know, whiteboards or online boards or whatever all good reasons right just you know we're together on this and we're all thing but it's it's kind of important that everyone knows that you were participating and then the market sells the fact you all you, all, you have to be in our group and in our system and show that you were you were in there and i think there's lots of uh pleasure for a lot of people as that you know today and we sell that so um i think it's a uh, you know, and it's, it seems like a, you know, anyways, the way I would just perceived how you lined that up, it seemed like a more challenging question than what I rely on, you know, over and over. And I do think that, uh, I guess I would take the side of Kant in, in saying that, uh, if I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but, um, that, yeah, there's do it, do it because you can and do it because it's for you. 
and 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 no one knows about it. I mean, that that's how it indicate that the intentions are correct, and you're probably you know doing it that's going to last for a really long period of time. And nowhere into that I say there's pleasure involved in it, because um, that's based upon perception. You know, some people. Uh, you know, some people may, may not have any pleasure in physical challenges for their whole life. <clears throat> so the question could remain, you know, well, do they really need to do it if they never find some form of joy in it? I think that's an interesting question, right? There's no, there's never any pleasure and it's always suffering, <laughs> you know, just to do it every day and et cetera. Um, and even to that point, I would argue that at the end of days, um, I could probably pull out a lot of great principles of 60 years of fucking hate doing that, but at least you were consistent in it. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's just this blob, blobbly gook, but that's what I think based upon that. No, I mean, that's what I would have thought. I mean, you're from what I understand and you seem to confirm it, like, yeah, you're, you're definitely more on the side of, of, of Kant in this, this regard where okay. the idea is that you would, do an action for these particular reasons. And if pleasure happens to be an accidental result, whatever, but that is not the primary motivating force yes. um, behind what you do it. Now, a question that just came up and you saying that, that I, I was wondering about in relation to that point, mm-hmm. you were saying pleasure is not in the statements, do it because you can and do it because it's for you. I see how it's not in the do it because you can. What does for you mean in that case, if we're not talking about pleasure like let's get yeah. a little deeper on that one yeah um because you you see the benefits that it's providing you by your actions in participating in fitness um so and that doesn't mean that it's always going to be you know smiley faces dopamine response on the back end of it but you're going to start to pick up these little things that come from your experience in fitness that lead to you know, your awareness of your resilience, your awareness of handling challenging conversations, your awareness of climbing up mountains now you couldn't before, et cetera. So that's the for you aspect of it. Do it because you'll gain all this knowledge of how much it does for you. Um, and it nowhere, as I said, nowhere in there is the context of, you know, for you such that you re- recognize, wow, that's pleasurable, you know? Yeah. Now, in language and context that like, to me, that is pleasurable, you know, um, meaning you know, like my book learning or, you know, um, let's just think about this. Yeah. My, my, uh, my awareness of doing all resistance training and then rock climbing now with my daughter recognizing, man, I'm glad I did all that upper body strength work. Do you know I mean that? That was pleasurable for me, that awareness of that context, right? So again, I'm not going to say it's it's all about how you're speaking of pleasure on that back end of it, right. you know, but I'm saying it's it's the recognition of all the things you gain from the fitness experience that you go, wow, you know, that's it's building this, you know, it's making this better and my buffer's bigger and et cetera. So you're doing it for you. Damn. And some of those intrinsic values that we've talked about before, like autonomy yes. and virtue and, and things yeah. like that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Khan has a famous example of, uh, it, it's a guy who he refers to at the friend as the friend of humanity. And the idea is imagine someone who's genetically born. Most of us are not, I mean, just as a matter of course, like, yeah. you know, genetically born to always want to do the moral thing, right? Morality is hard precisely yeah. because, you know, what we want to do pulls in the other direction and pleasure pulls in the other direction. But he says, 
imagine someone who's born constitutionally such that they always want to give to charity and, you know, never want to steal. And, and he says, he asks this question, is this person a moral being? And he, he famously says no, um, <laughs> which, which grates a lot of people's intuitions. But what he's saying there is that um, you can't just do it because it's like your default um, state of what makes you happy. You have to do it for deeper, more intrinsic reasons. You have to do it because of the respect for the moral law. If you know his brain was wired differently and he was like, nope, not gonna act moral anymore that's not morality anymore. Like it needs to be those deeper yeah. reasons. And then that's, it, it's kind of an interesting connection to what you're saying about like, it need, it, it can't just be for the the base level, you know, pleasures and dopamine. It has to be for these kind of deeper reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded to me in my, uh, it like, uh, a choice and then action on that choice. And then your recognition of the choice and the action, right? As opposed to just like asking, well, did you do that to get pleasure? Like, I don't know, what did I do? <laughs> and I could see how he's classifying that as immoral. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, that's a good one. That's a good stretch. <laughs> so one other one I thought we could uh, talk about that, you know, obviously you guys have brought up a lot in OPEX is the connection between fitness, pleasure, and, and evolution. You know, this idea mm -hmm. of happy, hungry, and horny. Um, you know, it would seem in a lot of ways that we're biologically hardwired to derive pleasure and perhaps ha happiness from certain activities. You know, yes, there are unique individual differences, but boy, across cultures, you know, people like, generally like to walk. They like to eat, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There are these um, things and pleasure seems to be the motivating um, force there. So um, yeah, I just thought it'd be interesting to discuss the extent to which fitness is one among those things that were biologically hardwired to do and how it connects to being happy, horny and hungry. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's for another time we could discuss a fourth or fifth or maybe sixth H and go meta on this motherfucker. Um, but healthy fits in here at the end too, as a nice H. So happy, horny, healthy, hungry, um, happy, horny, hungry, healthy, no particular order, no particular yeah. order folks. Come on. Um, <clears throat> But uh, we've refined that over time. Obviously, I love alliteration and it gets people like, ah, ah, ah. Um, so that's why I was done. Uh, happy being in there because it's a H, creates context. But I like to land in terms where fitness fits into the experience for, you know, how pleasure fits in. Again, to reiterate, uh, taking a time uh, consequence. And I use, remember, the, on my pillars of what I want for people at the end and then reverse engineer back, like, what should that global reasoning be for those experiences is to have, you know, um, at that point in time, and I describe it in that age, you know, you're 85 to 95 or whatever, and you have a great cognition, you know, and then you're capable of doing anything physically you need to do at that time, right? That allows you to support all your physical endeavors and, and everything you've done leading up to that allows you to do those things. And then lastly, this is where I, I changed tone on this exact language. And I classified it in more of a, uh, in two different words. And herein, you know, maybe you can pull that apart too, so we could clarify this and upgrade it perhaps, but satisfaction and contentment. And I landed with those two words to be almost antithetical to the newest concept of happiness as being this big virtue we got to go after, right? 
Um, Cause I, I saw that, I saw the beauty in that in positive psychology in the nineties. And then you start working with a whole ton of people. And I was like, Hey, we're not happy. <laughs> so, uh, so is all this things leading to happiness? Um, and again, of course, this ties into the hedonistic aspect and the happy, 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 happy. I'm so depressed, you know? Um, and so, you know, satisfaction and contentment is what I'd like to replace inside of there for this long-term goals that you should have of your fitness experience. And what I mean by that to clarify is that at the end of those days and what should be your motivating factors every time you exercise is that you want your fitness experience to allow you to have all these experiences, right? To, to, to allow experiences. Now, some are up, some are down, some are around and round, but there's a lot of satisfaction in the adjustments humans make, the adjustments and the adaptations that we make. How do we deal with COVID? How do we deal with relationship stuff? How do we deal with uh, pain? How do we deal, like, there's, there is enjoyment in you understanding over a long period of time that you are capable of these adjustments. And that is life. It's like being able to adjust to all of these adaptations that you need to adjust to. Um, and I think there's a lot of satisfaction and contentment in that and not happiness um, at the end. Yeah. So, um, any thoughts on the words that I chose for that on the back end to switch up the four H's or the. Yeah. And I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think that's a very good way to go. And I think that goes back to what we were discussing earlier and the Greeks with the seven different, you know, words for love and Aristotle's notion of eudaimonia and, you know, how we define happiness today, where it is kind of this perpetual, like, yay, smiley face. You know, I have, I have the big house and the cars and all, all the rest of this stuff, you know, the satisfaction fulfillment stuff highlights the fact that we're talking about something that is lasting, that is sustainable, that doesn't like feed on itself, that doesn't, um, you know, uh, ultimately collapse in with you, like lying in a ditch begging for that next fix. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Hey man, you got, you got some Metcons for me, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, and I think, I think we all know the difference, right? We all know the difference between whatever, you know, whatever someone's vice is, whether it's, chocolate or you know i just i just saw the memes just can just flying <laughs> off the off the presses me lying in a ditch screaming hey, that out hey man you got a mech on for me <laughs> some cindy some fran something quick for time <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's good brother that's good uh, um, sorry Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I don't know if you'd oh. heard this from uh, Georgia or Carl or whoever's in charge of it, but Brandon is taking over in <laughs> OPEX's Instagram like sometime in late February. So I'm sure oh, they'll nice. be part of, the, oh, nice. part of the team. But yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I think the wording there is important because when you think about satisfaction or fulfillment, you think of someone, you know, sitting there and just just content. It's, it's not that jonesing for for I need that extra next fix. It's like, that was, that was good. I enjoyed that. I'm going to do that again the next day and the next day after that. And like, it's good. It's sustainable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going back over the words there too, just to, uh, 
it's a little bit off in regards to our topic, but just explanation of that. The horny aspect is just a front end, again, H word in alliteration that kind of gets what? Uh, but we discussed that because number one, we like talking truths, <laughs> but also yeah. two, it, it, it kind of just uh, discusses reproductive health as being like something that's obvious and observant and uh, things that we want to have discussions on. Like, and it's, it's a baseline thing that we do want to discuss, right? Now, it doesn't include conversations on lust, uh, dating apps, et cetera, <laughs> positions, whatever. Uh, but it does, we do, you know, indirectly have that discussion. We start the front end conversation with it on things like vitality. That can lead into conversations on libido and awareness and conscious efforts around what that is. And then that can lead into like where that falls in line with your priorities and your fitness experience, et cetera, to get to the point with them recognizing that fitness has to be a supporting mechanism to allow what we'll call great reproductive health. And reproductive health is not just like from 12 to 18, it's for females having consistent great cycles and for males having vitality to be able to do whatever they want to do, right? So that, that's what the horny aspect comes into it. Hunger, which you, you know, uh, I would say have really thought about that in multiple different ways over a long period of time here, but that talks about the, as well, the natural requirements that we have to source information uh, on this planet that goes into us, that allows us to navigate this thing really effectively, like really effectively to adapt to all different kinds of things, right? And I was very short on that language, but you know, whatever the land gives us and we put in here, we have to continually do it and do it at a rate that's, I would say, local to us and that works for us and allows us to physically operate, think cognitively and lead, lead to a real good life. So that's the hungry aspect, not like, oh, is hunger really important? It's like, no, it's a H, makes you think about food, food information, et cetera. And then the happy, healthy area I've already discussed, and maybe that needs an upgrade, but I'm also willing, if, you know, it's not willing, but interested in our listeners to come up with a couple other H's and we can just, uh, as I said, knock this motherfucker out of the park with, uh, with alliteration, with some other cool H's. Yeah. And I, I think it, it totally depends maybe on the perspective with which you're, you know, viewing the words. Like when I initially heard that, um, set of phrases like, you know, coming from FDN land and things like that. I, it, it struck me that you were talking about, like, like you were saying with libido, like there's obviously ways in which libido can go like be way too excessive and lust and hunger can be way too excessive in the form yeah. of you know, gluttony and things like that. Yeah. But we're talking about those. I think the interesting connection here is between pleasure and like the virtuous aspects of those things. Like yeah. it is very common today to have low libido that yeah. is not normal from a biological perspective. Yes. Um, people having excess hunger or insufficient hunger. Yes. I'm you know, just talking about the, the relationship between proper pleasure and biology. And because mm -hmm. the environment has switched so much today, our pleasure switches have kind of gone screwy yeah. either to the point yeah. where it's too much or, or too little. Yeah, and I would even say that it's overcorrected to the point of we're moved, we've moved past even the conversation on awareness of said points, right? But more into like some moral concepts as to where that should be. I think it's gone even overcorrected to that to that point. Um, that's just from my perspective too of uh, where um, the conversation on libido, as an example, there's been a lot more conversation deeply embedded in terms of what that means to your own moral 
based support, right? And ethics around those thoughts. And I'm like, man, what, what, ha- what just happened to the conversation of us saying, do you think it's supposed to go down? Should you feel like that for 15 years? Like, I don't give a shit what it means to you, but what's your thoughts? Let me know. And uh, no one wants to like have the, that kind of, let's call it a 1999, 2005 conversation on it. Um, we're, we're kind of just like, Ooh, well, you know, uh, anyways, it just goes in the overcorrected pattern. Um, and the, the other H is just for smart asses are trying to throw some in. It can't be histamine and hemoglobin and, um, higher hyaluronic acid, you know, I know smart asses will throw in those H's, um, as an example, um, or hit. <laughs> it's gotta be something that I think all the H's we have in there thus far, like 99% of the population who speaks English can understand. Yeah. So it, it yeah. can't, it can't be something that wouldn't immediately be understood somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Or a vegetable that we can start a sponsorship with, right? That starts right. with H. Is there, this is a question, is there a vegetable that starts with the letter H? Mm. Horseradish is, is that? Yeah. Is that, is sure. that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, well, I don't even know if it's classified. Right. It's I, I, I don't know. know. Anyways, that's good. That's sure. it. Um. <laughs> see if they can sponsored you, by horseradish. Horseradish. <laughs> Sorry, broccoli. Sorry. Yeah, we're, we're going to switch you up this week. Um, so we, we've talked about pleasure in its relation to fitness and biology. I thought another interesting question would be, we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but now with respect to pleasure in particular, you know, that distinction between biology and culture, mm. so the, the happy, horny, mm. uh, hungry, healthy, like that really relates to notions of biology that far precede any, you know, development of agriculture and, you know, societies and books and philosophy and all the rest of that stuff. But now we have culture. Now we have 10,000 years worth of culture. And, you know, as you sometimes put it, points and prizes are means of deriving pleasure, um, Mm -hmm. especially in fitness. So um, just, I I don't know if you have any thoughts there, you know, we're we're now going beyond the biology. We're now going beyond the biology. I mean, there's a certain element of biology and, you know, group cohesion and things like that, but thoughts there on, on pleasure and its relation to fitness. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's a, it's a huge one. So I'm not even actually really sure where to start on it, but, um, I just think that it's, uh, it, you know, I don't know if I'm right in saying this, but it's, it's, it's upstream from biology now, you know, it's like, it's, it's what, it's what we have to take into consideration. You know, like I say all the time, people come in front of us, you know, no one sees this thing the way you do, right? So you may have heard this here, you may have read these things, but when they come in front of you and that's a human looking for some different reason and all different types of reasons as to why they want to experience those, this fitness experience, you got to recognize that's first and foremost, they, they got there through culture, that brought them to this point of this, let's call it physical fitness experience. And uh, yeah, so I think that's all I would say is that it's, it's probably embedded as a concept of cultures upstream from biology in the fitness experience. Um, and I guess the rewriting of all that is the opposite way around. Like you eventually make people recognize over time that what you do in the fitness experience is a social construct um, that, uh, we just put together to allow you to move, you know, to allow you to move with, 
Um, I just read your earlier words earlier, which I kind of smirked at when you say frivolous amusement. <laughs> uh, I can, I'm going to connect that to a bunch of different future podcasts. Um, uh, folly and frivolous amusement. Um, that, uh, that will get you to all those things that I talked about. So I'll just, that's right. That's what I think about when you say, uh, where culture fits into that for, for today. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just, it's interesting historically how, I mean, fitness was for the vast majority of human history, a purely biological phenomenon. Yes. yes. And, uh, it has increasingly become, I mean, there's still obviously those biological aspects and people wanting to get up off the floor and, um, yeah. you know, different things like that, but it, yeah. it really has become in many ways, a predominantly cultural phenomena that's dominated by like, am I in the orange zone and what did I put up on the whiteboard? And yeah, you know, those different motivating factors that are very often divorced from optimal health and longevity and biology. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. It's a, uh, we spoke, I spoke with the other day with, uh, Jonathan Stewart on a podcast, uh, it, it truly is just unconscious and there's no judgment around it. It's just like, it's, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm following that orange thing and why I'm doing that. Right. And, and this is the interesting point, which, uh, this book right there, it's called exercised ED by Daniel Lieberman. Um, <clears throat> You know, he says that he goes around the globe and talks to people is like, uh, what do you do for training? And they're like, training, <laughs> you know, so he, he had, was capable of meeting with these groups of people that give us some insight to what it was like 500 years ago or 2000 years ago, right? Is like fitness. I don't know, dude, I just got to walk that far to get water to bring it back. And then I got to go do these things in order to gather this food in order to feed my children. Like, I don't know what you're talking about in regards to exercise or training. So even that, that fact and all the shit you can pull from that, which he does eloquently makes us realize that it really is a cultural phenomenon and, and, and what we are doing, well, I'm going to say what I am doing, I guess is, and ironically, I have a biology minor and this is probably why I really liked it was that I just saw some of these, some of these, what I perceived as be uh, these, these pieces of truth that give us some some sense of um, reality. And I think that's why that's what was already was all was in place for a long period of time that people didn't even know that, right? It's like, um, why do I have to, you know, run with you to chase this animal? It's like, well, you don't want to eat, then you don't have to. But uh, if you want to eat, you're going to have to fucking chase this thing down. This is how you do it. And this is how you honor it and clean it. And this is how you're going to have to bring it back. This is the physical, you know, no, go this way, you know, grab the huffs and walk like this. And then we figured out, cut a leg and put over your shoulder, you wrap this thing and stuff it in, you know, all of that is like today's like <laughs> pulleys and, <laughs> you know, doing my leg press. Why? Going to eat my elk steak at lunch <laughs> that gets dropped from an Amazon drone. Uh, perfectly prepared. Um, so yeah, here is where here is where we are, right? This is where we are. Which again, I'll bring it back. This is why we need to have the zombie opportunity that needs to be uh, uh, hypothesized as an option for the future. Like we have to, we have to not be freaked out by making that idea, but 
why not just like create a myth and a story that they're going to come and you've got to train to be prepared for all the things like mental acuity and, and uh, distance. Because as I said, after three minutes, they just like fall apart, you know, <laughs> and you know this because you know that when they, uh, they have cells as zombies where as when it, when they reach levels of glycolysis, they've only been eating other humans. So they get no sugar. So this is a beautiful little, reason as to why they can't right because they're classic keto and uh, they can't handle glycolysis <laughs> oh man we thought uh, we thought carnivore was extreme now this is like human keto <laughs> <laughs> there i said it well what zombies not eating zombies not like thinking they're all like gathering in the in the freaking backyard i wonder if this is like uh uh, turning these into short chain fatty acids through my gut and leading to <laughs> wonder if this fiber is having this impact on my, uh, the microflora of my children. You know, I don't think they're having that conversation. You got the bulletproof human coffee and the, yeah, you know, I don't think they're <laughs> vibration plate. You see the humans. Oh, okay. I'm back to this. I'm so parasympathetic right now. It's funny that you mentioned that a because we discussed traumas today, but also because the the video clip on Instagram is from the one of the dogmatism episodes where you and I were joking about how like we're gonna need our ring muscle ups to get us away from the zombies and GHD bench presses to push them off of us. <laughs> you could be over a ledge. Yeah, you could be where you're like. No, no, don't push me down. And the zombie's looking at you like, yeah, you're going down. Instead of eating you, he knows you're going to get a lot of pain if he pushes you off, but he's sitting on your feet. So in that place, you're like, he doesn't know that I did 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 bench press 135 off uh, the GHD bench and run, right? Because lo and behold, it's needed. And you go, boom, and he falls over and you catch yourself and survive and then you, because of your running prowess, you run away and he doesn't get you. And it's all because of the 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. It was that transition work at the L1 seminar that, that saved me, that, that allowed me to. This death, death, life. There's death, someone. Life. There's someone looking over at another cliff away from you. You had the ring muscle up experience and you survive. And the other one just plummets to his death. He's like, shit, I should have gone to that L1. Mm -hmm. Yep. You, just, you, know, it, you, you go in just this whole new territory of human capabilities with the transition. And the hey, teaching of the transition is like, you know, meta, meta coach. Maybe we should meta. dedicate one of these episodes to like the exact details of the zombie apocalypse and what we should tell people to, to motivate them. I mean, we got to come up with ways to make this more exciting. You know, yep. you got to come up with ways to tie people into some reasoning behind it. You know, next thing you know, it's a religion. Yep. Starts out as sincere questioning. Punch. <laughs> Dogmatism street. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> 
One question I thought of and, and had while you, while you were saying what you were saying about uh, exercise and him running around and asking people about uh, what they do for fitness. I wonder, I'm, I'm just curious. I've just been thinking about it. I think I have some idea of what the reason might be, but mm-hmm. I wonder why sociologically in 20th century North America, I mean, cause that, that's really CrossFit, orange theory, barbell yeah. culture. Like yeah. that's where this came from. Like it, yeah. it you know, there, you know, there's history and you know, strong men in, in di- different places and cultures, but it, it, it's interesting and curious. Why did this arise in 20th century North America? Now, part of it's obviously obesity and wanting, wanting to counteract that. But I yeah. don't know if you've ever read anything on that, or if you have any thoughts on that, why this phenomena arose culturally here. Yeah, I think it, I think it was probably the uh, embedded idea of a new world and a new world and doing things slightly differently um, with this, uh, you know, uh, nuances of freedom. And you have a, a free society in this new world perspective of doing things. Um, and then, you know, as the way things go and the opportunities that we find here on the land or the, the ideas that you come in with on that. It fast forwards to a point, I think, where we have uh, the option and uh, availability of a whole bunch of shit around us to consume and use because we can. And inside of all that, you know, um, with the timing of industry and technology and automation around food sourcing, it just led to, you know, <laughs> an opportunity to feed us all, you know, uh, at, a, at a rate that, uh, that wasn't really you know, perfect, um, or sorry, not a rate, but a, as, a, as a kind that wasn't really perfect. And then that just leads to, uh, you know, uh, so many things down the road in terms of the efficiencies in the food that led to, um, you know, just a, just a less of lessening quality of it. And that's not, a, that's not a front end, back end, but that was just at the same time as uh, we recognize that, uh, with the advent of the wheel and machines and et cetera, we could move across land, i.e. adapt. We could uh, you know, do things that we needed to do without movement, i.e. adapt, uh, be agile and become you know, uh, these more higher conscious humans um, at the same time as this whole big social push for cognition was big. Intelligence, education, learn these things, you know, all based upon those previous new world free, you know, uh, consumption concepts. And it leads us, it lands us here, right? Where it's just like majority of individuals have access to so many different things. And this is, you know, where I, I don't argue Pinker's data on perceptions of what is better today and where we are, et cetera. But you know, it has to be stretched out, obviously, because the story inside there, we live longer, but are we really more vital and more healthy? And there's so much data to show that we're not, and we're not moving towards that. So I think that's, it's, it's the, it's those areas where the big, the last one, the big cognition push and, and physicality due to we were adapting, uh, became less and less. So intervening factors of wherever the argument wants to go on food sourcing and capabilities, uh, combined with a less of a requirement to actually move. And that's what, and, and a big push on social perspective and cognition. And you get, uh, what you get is people on Twitter for eight hours and uh, they're not exercising. That's uh, that's what you get. 
Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to that. It's just, it's, it's interesting to me sociologically that like, you know, it wasn't Italy, it wasn't France, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, it, it is to a certain extent there and, you know, there was kettlebell cut culture in Russia mm-hmm. and the Highland games and, you know, yeah. uh, Scotland and Ireland and stuff like that. And, but just, just interesting that so much of today of what, you know, we, we talk about with relation to fitness and all its different permutations was born out of really 20th and 21st century North America. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why I called it new world and these concepts of freedom, but that doesn't mean there's all kinds of awesome virtues inside of that. You know, what ends up being folly and frivolous amusement. So it looks like, Oh, we're ahead and we're adapting. And we've been doing this for 30 years. It's like, yeah, how's that doing for you? <laughs> how's that doing for you? So you, so what you're saying is you've quickly adapted seemingly faster than everyone else. Oh yeah. Yeah. How's that doing for you? It's not working too well. So it looks like, it looks like this unbelievable expansion of ideas and innovation and, and thought and new concepts of democracy and economy. And in the end, uh, what does it come down to in regards to biology? It's not much better. So much better. So we're in this weird time of like, well, we don't need to actually do it, which is always my point, right? No, we don't need to do it, uh, but we need to have conversation as to why we should do it. Yeah, that's what we need to have. You should write a counterpoint to Pinker's book that is like dot, 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 health and fitness. Yeah, and then it's like, right. whoop, it's going in the exact opposite direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Historically. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's strong data in there on, uh, you know, global poverty and uh, global uh, accessibility to uh, rights and freedoms. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do you think there for uh, pleasure? Any other thoughts or? No, um, no, that was, no, I think it's good. I think uh, the cliche comment, I think we just, it's not the tip of the iceberg really uh, for what could be discussed inside of that because I think even the angle of maybe a, a, a bigger, I guess not philosophical, but a physiological conversation on, um, you know, compensatory models of behavior and physiology, right? Which come from pleasure seeking. I mean, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole conversation in itself, you know? So I think there's probably these subsets underneath this little iceberg moment of pleasure inside of fitness, but it's good to be touched a tiny bit of it just to make people aware of the language and, and your physiological framework or philosophical framework for the, for the definitions. So. Yeah. Agreed. And I'm, yeah, as we've talked about many other episodes, I'm more than happy to, we'll come back to, and you know, we can do set topics on this and. Yeah. Wind it a new way. Yeah. Yeah. But we got a call out to find some new H's in Newfoundland is known as H's. Um, where it would be appy, orny, ungry, elthy. You wouldn't even pronounce the H on the front end. Um, so if you come up with any, then uh, shoot us our way. Yeah, hit us up. Hit us up. Subscribe, like. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Is that what the, is that what the marketers do today? That, that, that's what the kids are saying these days. Okay. It would be higher order if you actually put your finger towards where it would actually occur on the YouTube video. Like right here, folks, right, right here. Hit here, yeah. right now, hit here, you know? So. They make a augmented reality button and then they just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, feel it. Can you feel the pleasure in that? <laughs>
Oh, man. Thank How's the so next much. generation going to make it with uh, YouTube and all the rest of this stuff? What's that? How's the next generation going to make it with YouTube and TikTok and growing up on that? They'll know everything. Yeah. Or their dopamine receptors will be so burnt out. <laughs> they want to know nothing. Yes. It's not possible. It's not possible at age 27 to like have a get up and go. It's like, what do you yeah. think about that? Uh, yeah. It's nothing like those videos I saw when I was 18. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What are those experiences, right? Yeah. Maybe fitness will be the fix. How? Maybe there'll be a zombie revolution. Maybe there won't. But maybe there will. Maybe there will. <laughs> All right, Robbie. All right. Thanks, buddy. Ooh, just a second. Wait, no. Nope. Don't want to do that. Don't want to do that.